Chapter 8 of the Rangeland Avenger by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Denver Jim was already heartily in the spirit of the thing. Sit down on that black rock, Jig, he said, taking Gasper to the designated stone as he spoke, and removing the noose from the latter's neck. Black is a sign you're going to swing in the end. Just a trifling postponement, that's all. Riley placated the judge with his first appointment. Judge Lodge, he said, you know a pile about these here things. I appoint you clerk. It's your duty to take out that little notebook you got in your vest pocket and write down a note for the important things that's said. Savvy? Right, replied Lodge, entirely won over, and he settled himself on the grass with the notebook on his knee and a stub of pencil poised over it. Larson, your sergeant at arms. How do you mean that, Sinclair? That's what they call them that keep order. I disremember where I heard it. Larson, if anybody starts raising a rumpus, it's up to you to shut him up. I'll sure do it, declared Larson. You can sure leave that to me, Judge. He hoisted his gun belt around so that the gun butt hung more forward and readier to his hand. Denver, you're the jailer. You see that the prisoner don't get away. Keep an eye on him, you see. Easy, Judge, replied Denver. I can do it with one hand. Montana, you keep the door. What do you mean, door, Judge? Ain't you got no imagination whatever? Demanded Sinclair. You keep the door. When I holler for a witness, you go and get him. And Sanderson, you're the hangman. Take charge of that rope. That ain't such an agreeable job, Your Honor. Neither is mine. Go ahead. Sanderson, glowering, gathered up the rope and draped it over his arm. Buck Mason, you're the jury. Sit down there over on your bench, will you? This here court being kind of short-handed. You've got to do twelve men's work. If it's too much for you, the rest of us will help out. Your Honor, declared Buck, much impressed. I'll sure do my best. The jury's job, explained Sanderson, is to listen to everything and not say nothing, but think all the time. You'll do your talking in one little bunch when you say guilty or not guilty. Now we're ready to start. Gaspar, stand up. Denver Jim officiously dragged the schoolteacher to his feet. What's your name? Name? asked the bewildered Gaspar. Why, everybody knows my name. Don't make any difference, announced Sinclair. This is going to be a strictly regular hanging, with no frills left marabouts your name. John Irving Gasper. Called Jig for short, and sometimes cold feet, put in the clerk. Sinclair cleared his throat. John Irving Gaspar, alias Jig, alias cold feet. Do you know what we got against you? You know what you're charged with? With, with an absurd thing, sir. Murder, said Sinclair solemnly. Murder, Jig. What do you say? Guilty or not guilty? Most generally, you'd say not guilty. Not guilty, absolutely not guilty. As a matter of fact, Mr. Sinclair. Denver shut him up and make him sit down. One hard brown hand was clamped over Jig's mouth. The other thrust him back on the black rock. "'Gentlemen of the jury,' said his honor, 
You've heard the prisoner say he didn't do it. Now we'll get down to the truth of it. What's the witnesses for the prosecution got to say? There was a pause for consideration. Speak up pronto, said Sinclair. Anybody know anything again the prisoner? Larson stepped forward. Your Honor, it's pretty generally known. I don't give a dog gone for what's generally known. What do you know? The Swede's smile did not alter in the slightest, but his voice became blunter, more acrid. From that moment he made up his mind firmly that he wanted to see John Irving Gasper, otherwise Jig, hanged from the cottonwood tree above them. I was over to Shorty Lander's store the other day. His honor raised his hand in weary protest as he smiled apologetically at the court. Darned if I didn't plumb forget one thing, he said. We've got to swear in these witnesses before they can chatter. Is there anybody got a Bible around them? Nope. Montana, I wish you'd lope over to that house and see what they got in the line of Bibles. Montana strode away in the direction of the house, and quiet fell over the unique courtroom. Larson, so pleasant of face and so unbending of heart, was the first to speak. Looks to me, gents, like we're wasting a lot of time on a rat. The blond head of Cold Feet turned, and his large dark eyes rested without expression upon the face of the Swede. He seemed almost literally to fold his hands and await the result of his trial. The illusion was so complete that even Riley Sinclair began to feel that the prisoner might be guilty of an act which he himself had done. The opportunity was indeed too perfect to be dismissed without consideration. It was in his power, definitely, to put the blame on another man. Then he could remain in this community as long as he wished to work his will upon Sanderson. Sanderson himself was a great problem. If Bill had spoken up in good faith to save Sinclair from the posse that morning, then Riley felt he was disarmed. But profound suspicion remained with him that Sanderson guessed his mission and was purposely trying to brush away the wrath of the Avenger. It would take time to discover the truth, but to secure that time it was necessary to settle the blame for the killing. Cold Feet was a futile, weak-handed little coward. In the stern scheme of Sinclair's life, the death of such a man was almost less than nothing. Wasting a lot of time on a rat. The voice of Larson fell agreeably on the ear of his honor. Behind that voice came a faraway murmur, the scream of a hawk. He bent his head back and looked up through the limbs of the cottonwood into the pale blue-white haze of the morning sky. A speck drifted across it, the hawk sailing in search of prey. Under the noble arch of heaven floated that fierce, malignant creature. Riley Sinclair lowered his head with a sigh. Was not he himself playing the part of the hawk? He looked straight into the eyes of the prisoner, and Jig met the gaze without flinching. He merely smiled in an apologetic manner. And he made a little gesture with his right hand, as if to admit that he was helpless, and that he cast himself upon the goodwill of Riley Sinclair. Riley jerked his head to one side and scowled. He hated that appeal, 
He wanted this hanging to be the work of seven men, not of one. Montana returned, bringing with him a yellow-covered, red-backed book. There wasn't a sign of a Bible in the house, he stated, but I found this here history of the United States, with the Declaration of Independence pasted into the back of it. I figured that ought to do about as well as a Bible. You've got a good head, Montana, said his honor. Open up to that there declaration. Here, Larson, put your hand on this and swear you're telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There ain't going to be any bum testimony taken in this court. We ain't going to railroad this lynching through. He caught a glistening light of gratitude in the eyes of the schoolteacher. Riley's own breast swelled with a sense of virtue. He had never before taken the life of a helpless man, and now that it was necessary, he would do it almost legally. Larson willingly took the oath. I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, damn me, if I don't. I was over at Shorty Lander's store the other day. What day? Hmm. Last Tuesday, I reckon. Go on, Larson, but give me nothing but the facts. I see Jig come into the store. I want to look at a revolver, he said. The deuce you do. What might you want to do with a revolver, Jig, says Shorty. You mean you want a toy gun? I remember them words particular clear. Because I didn't see how even a spineless gent like Jig could stand for such a pile of insult. But he just sort of smiled with his lips and got steady with his eyes, like he was sort of grieved. I want a gun that'll kill a man, he says to Shorty. Shorty and me both laughed, but when Shorty brung out a forty-five, doggone me, if Jig didn't buy the gun. Look here, says he, is this the way it works? And he raised it up in his skinny hand. I had to laugh. Hold it in both hands, says I. Oh, says he, and darned if he didn't take it in both hands. It seems much easier to handle in this way, says he. But that's what I seen. I seen him buy a gun to kill a man. Them was his words, and I figure they're a mouthful. Larson retired. Damaging evidence. There ain't no question, said Mr. Clerk severely. But I can lay over it, your honor. Blaze away, judge. Larson took the oath. I'm going to show you there was bad feelings between the prisoner and the dead man, Your Honor. I was over to the dance at the Woodville Schoolhouse a couple of weeks ago. Jig was there, not dancing or nothing, but sitting in a corner with all the girls, mostly hanging around him. They kept hanging around, looking real foolish at him, and Jig looks back at him as if they wasn't there. Well, it riles the boys around these parts. Quade comes up to him and takes him aside. Look here, he says. Why don't you dance with one girl instead of hogging them all? I don't dance, says Jig. Why do you stay if you won't dance, asks Quade. It's my privilege, says Jig, smiling in that ornery way of his, like his thoughts was too big for an ordinary gent to understand him. You stay and dance and welcome, said Quade. But if you won't dance, get out of here and go home where you belong. You're spoiling the party for us, keeping all the girls over here. Is that a threat, says Jiggs, smiling in that way of his. 
It sure is, and most particular, I want you to keep away from Sally Bent, you hear? You take advantage of your size, says Jig. Guns even up sizes, says Quade. Thank you, says Jig. I'll remember. Right after that he went home because he was afraid that Quade would give him a dressin'. But there was bad feelings between him and Quade. There was a devil in them eyes of Jig's when he looked at Big Quade. I seen it, and I knowed there'd be trouble. Lodge then retired. Gents, said his honor, it looks kind of black for the prisoner. We know that Gaspar had a grudge again Quade, and that he bought a gun big enough to kill a man. It sure looks black for you, Gaspar. The prisoner looked steadily at Sinclair. There was something unsettling in that gaze. All we got to make sure of, said the judge, is that the quarrel between Gaspar and Quade was strong enough to make Gaspar want to kill him, and... Your Honor, broke in Gaspar, don't you see that I could never kill a man? The prisoner stretched out his hands in a gesture of appeal to Sinclair. Riley gritted his teeth. Suddenly a chill had passed through him at the thought of the hanging noose biting into that frail, thoft throat. You shut up till you're asked to talk, he said, frowning savagely. I think we got a witness here that'll prove that you did have sufficient cause to make you want to get rid of Quade. And if we have that proof, heaven help you. Montana, go get Sally Bent. Gaspar started up with a ring in his voice. No, no. In response to a gesture from Sinclair, Denver Jim jerked the prisoner back onto the black rock. With blazing blue eyes, Gaspar glared at the judge, his delicate lips trembling with unspoken words. Sinclair knew, with another strange feeling of the heart, that the prisoner was perfectly aware that his judge had not the slightest suspicion of his guilt. An entente was established between them, an entente which distressed Sinclair and which he strove to destroy. But despite himself, he could not get rid of the knowledge that the great blue eyes were fixed steadily upon him, as if begging him to see that justice was done. Consequently, the judge made himself as impersonal as possible. End of chapter 8